What's up? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gray. And today we have a very exciting interview. It covered everything from NBA basketball to the process of a performance review, the growth of the social and sneaker media industries, in addition, a behind the scenes look to one of the industry leading performance review websites and teams, the Wear Testers. But before we hop into today's interview, I just want to remind you that Keeping Stock is a weekly sneaker podcast uploaded every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform in 20 to 30 minute podcast episode. So if you enjoy today's interview, make sure to follow the podcast on your favorite platform and leave a rating and let's get into it. The art of a sneaker performance review is not a simple task. A true performance review can't happen in 24 hours. Real sneaker analysis occurs when the tester utilizes the shoe at its design limits, running at all speeds, on all terrains, and a plethora of movements. When footwear testing is all said and done, a review truly takes an amalgamation of info, trials, and history to provide feedback that is constructive and supportive to their claims. Today's guest has helped build one of the footwear industry's largest, if not number one, performance review platforms to distribute insights to a worldwide audience. He is the creator of the Wear Tester's name, the original site, and an avid runner. Welcome to the show, Wear Tester's co-founder and head of operations, Mr. Drew Whitcomb. Drew, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I wanted to start out and just say I've been a big fan for a while, as I'm sure a lot of listeners have. Wear Tester's has been a fundamental piece to sneaker culture and understanding the shoes that I'm going after and giving those reviews. So much props to the years that you've put into the site with you and your team. Well, thanks for rocking with us. We uh, appreciate everybody that comes and uses wear testers to learn a little bit more about shoes or to figure out what to buy next. And I think I'd be amiss if I didn't start off here with how recent it is, but did you get a chance to watch any of the NBA finals, the NBA bubble? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big NBA fan, so I was tuned in to every game. Did you have any, in the finals, any pull towards LeBron and the Lakers or Jimmy Butler and the Heat? I'm an Orlando Magic fan, so we often have Heat fans try and take over our arena. And we had a lot of Orlando Magic fans defect to be Heat fans when LeBron was here. So I don't really love the Heat, but I did appreciate the team they built and Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, the way they shoot threes. That's kind of after my own heart. And But I mean, you couldn't deny that LeBron was just at a different level in the finals. So I think the right team ended up winning, but Miami, they'll have some cap space in a, in a year and they might have a completely different crazy team. But uh, I thought it was good. I thought the quality of basketball was really good. It was weird that they were like 30 minutes away from my house over at Disney playing and I was just watching it all on TV. It was kind of <laughs> just strange, but and, and seeing the pictures they would take like at Disney at the hotels. I'm like, oh, I've been there. That's interesting. But it was it, it was fun. It, it was good to have basketball to watch. I'm not I'm not a big in pretty much any other sport. I'll watch my fantasy football team, you know, members, mm-hmm. but that's pretty much it. So like basketball, I, I love watching it, especially NBA. And so as a Orlando fan, do you have any favorite moments or games that you've gone to in your period being an Orlando fan that stick out to you? I do. I do. My my dad had season tickets through his work for a while growing up. And probably the most memorable, at least in terms of 
moments of NBA history of that I went to was the game where Michael Jordan wore the number 12 jersey. Oh, uh, wow. It was weird because we were there and like some rumbles started to come through the crowd, like rumors, you know, back then there just wasn't, you know, cell phones and whatnot. And people were like, yeah, somebody stole Jordan's Jersey. Somebody stole Jordan's (laughs) Jersey. And then he rolls out in 12 and everyone's like, Whoa, that's weird. And you know, at the time you don't even realize it's just like the magic who are just like trying to scrap, trying to be, a good franchise playing against, you know, the mighty bulls. And now looking back, I'm like, you know, it was, it was a really good game, but it wasn't in the moment. It didn't feel like it would be something epic and legendary. Yeah. I mean, out of all of the moments for Jordan, that is, you know, the true Jordan fans really know that story and find it interesting. And for you to be there is awesome. And so I guess in that question, growing up in that era with Jordan, was it the basketball players and that kind of culture that drew you to sneakers and footwear at a young age? It was. It was uh, when I was, let's say I was seven years old when the magic started in Orlando. So it was like the perfect age. And, you know, we watched the Lakers. My dad was from LA. So we watched the, the late era, 80s Lakers. And then we were watching the bad boys and then the rise of the bulls. And as the rise of the bulls happened, you know, I was right there begging my parents for, I think Jordan fives were my first Jordans. I got a pair of Jordan sixes for my birthday the, the next year. And then once the magic started becoming good and, and specifically Penny Hardaway, that's when my love for sneakers really took off because the, Penny one, obviously huge classic. Then the foam posit one happens and it's priced at 180 bucks. And so I just remember going into champ sports, holding it in my hand and just knowing I'm never going to have this sneaker. But like, that was the moment I was like this, I was like in love with that piece of art and that kind of secured like sneakers becoming something I was interested in forever. That's awesome. How monumental those sneakers were in terms of the five and the foam at that age and having the ability to get so is it's fascinating i remember you know for me i was born later but i always loved old school nike ads and one of my favorite campaigns has to be little penny and what they did there and i couldn't imagine being a fan as you were to grab the phones and seeing those commercials and seeing that story being told and how it resonated with a child, just the pure joy and, you know, owning those shoes and running around on the playground or playing basketball in those at that time. Well, and having one of our stars have a campaign with Little Penny, Tyra Banks, like some of the the most fun commercials on TV at the time, like that was like pride in hey, I'm from Orlando and this is where this is originating. This is ground zero of the whole Penny Hardaway experience. So I think that like made it even bigger for all of us here. Right. And it's unfortunate that Penny's career went the way it did. And I feel he's overshadowed in a, a lot of categories that people just kind of forget. But he may have one of the best performance basketball or aesthetically pleasing and unique basketball signature shoe lines that Nike and the basketball industry has seen. He does for sure. Because I mean, the the one Jordan obviously is like on a level all his own, but below that Penny's like in serious contention for that number two spot because he was 
this six nine guard. He was like something everyone could identify with. People playing on the perimeter, people who played, you know, down low, wanted to kind of also have like his suave moves and things like that. He was kind of this floor general and all that kind of coalesced. Plus his shoe designs were so great. Allen Iverson is up there too. I mean, LeBron, some of his early stuff's up there, but kind of prefers those bulkier shoes. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure that enough, pe- you know, it's like at some point, not enough people can identify with your shoe and it, and it kind of hurts the line. And also Penny's just like one of those stars that burns super bright for a short amount of time. So we got really good stuff for a really short amount of time without any of like the misses. Because I mean, even the Jordan lines had some misses, but it's like the Penny line didn't have those misses and then it was gone. I think that is pro and a con. Like I think to LeBron and even Jordan brand is when your brand and signature sneakers go on for so long that you're going through this transitional phase of industry or cultural trends, new tech what they want to try out in sneakers and you're bound to have some misses. But as you said, you know, it's Penny kind of burning super bright for a very short amount of time. It was all on, on time, on trend for the, that small collection and that line of signature that came out, which is really interesting to see where LeBron is at now and where Jordan gets to with, you know, the recent release of the 35, but maybe it is some of those more compact lines tend to hold better over time, just like Iverson does in some regard. Yeah, I think you're right. And in some respects, it helped Kobe that he had that Adidas period with some kind of hits and misses. But then once he got to Nike, it was like he knew exactly what he wanted and he was pushing the designers to give him that. And it had the results were great on court and mostly in terms of style as well, especially because he went low top. And I think it's one of those things where that people forget almost about the Adidas stuff and they focus only on the Nike Kobe era because it was so like on point. I think that's a, a salient point. And so with this passion from sneakers at seven, eight years old, up into through high school and college, how did you formulate the idea to start wear testers? So wear testers for me, and and I started the website while unbeknownst to me across the country, Chris was doing the YouTube channel. And everyone knows Chris from, from the YouTube channel. But I moved to Bentonville, Arkansas, which is where Walmart is headquartered. I was working for General Mills. I was selling to them. But at the time, I don't know how it is nowadays, there was a finish line in town, but it was like a horrible finish line as far as basketball shoes are considered. It had some running shoes, stuff like that, but it just wasn't well stocked at all. And there wasn't anything else that was close. There was probably about 30 minutes away, there was a small sneaker boutique in in Fayetteville, but they didn't get everything. They did get some things. It was just, it was just a tough sneaker scene. And I started looking online. I was like, okay, I want, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this particular shoe, but I can't try it on. And so then I noticed that there was just an absolute dearth of reviews. At the time, there, there wasn't running shoe reviews. There was basketball shoe reviews, apparel, sporting goods, tech reviews just weren't a thing except for like the reviews on site at the various brands and retailers. And, and we all know those can be very, very hit or miss. And so 
I had I had a job that was very much a nine to five. And so after work, what I started doing was ordering sneakers from Nike or from Finish Line or from Foot Locker all online to be able to get the stuff that I wanted. And I said, well, I'm trying these out. I might as well write up reviews and put them up. And so registered the domain weartesters.com, got a WordPress site, taught myself WordPress the best I could and and just created a site and did reviews on back then it was, you know, like the the Flyweight one, the Flyweight two, the Jordan 2011 and 2012, I think I did. Under Armour at the time came out with like charged cotton. So I bought a charged cotton shirt, did a review on that. Nike did the fuel band. I managed to, as I was doing my review, I managed to brick three fuel bands. So that was just like a scathing review, which you can find on the Wayback Machine. It doesn't exist on the site anymore. I need to pull it off Wayback Machine and put it on the site as like a retro review. (laughs) But now it like plays like super good in retrospect. Whereas at the time I was like, kind of worried am I being too hard on this but like that it was it was all my idea was let me put some reviews out into the world since I'm having to buy and try this stuff for myself anyway so that other people don't have to go through the same process that they can have a little bit more security in what they're buying online it's tremendous how much things have changed from 2010 through 2012 to where we're at today in such a short amount of time but before I lose the thought Talking about the Nike Fuel Band, you just posted about the exercise watches Fitbit type category. And the Fuel Band just seems like it was a little before its time to where we're at today with the Apple Watch or Samsung or Garmin. That it's interesting because I totally forgot about that shoe and like the Nike Plus program and what they were doing. That may have just been a little bit before its time. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those were a little bit before and and part of that was the form factor and part of that was some decisions they made like in the Nike Fuel Bands case it was a little bit too thick and like a little bit too hard. It hurt getting like if you tried to play basketball with a Fuel Band and you got hit with some, when someone else was wearing it, it hurt. It hurts a lot less to get hit by like an Apple Watch mm-hmm. nowadays. So a little bit was that and then they decided that you should get Nike Fuel And if you look at how things evolved, people really started to look at steps or the miles. They didn't need like some made up metric. And so Nike just made a little misstep there. But really, yeah, they were too early. The same thing with Nike plus uh, basketball shoes that kind of showed your vertical and stuff like that. I think when Chris reviewed those, he was like, these are cool, but like more cool if you're like a high school athlete that's actually trying to get training results. And so nowadays you get a ton more of that there's all these little foot sensors like stride for running and things like that that'll give you all these metrics so nike was a bit early and so it's it'd be interesting like i wish i knew someone over there in the on the tech side so i could ask them like why didn't the company stick with it because arguably if they had stuck with it they'd be right there with fitbit and jawbone and all these other companies that have wearables It's interesting just how quick those things change over time and their ideas. And I guess it reflects wear testers in a sense, too, of how quickly things adapted for you guys when you're starting in right around when social media starts to really take off a few years prior and affiliate marketing. And Chris, also known as Nightwing, what he's doing and it's been doing for so long, respect to him, because that was just purely a hobby 
at that time and, you know, still is in some regards, but now it's very, very mainstream and a lot of people are consuming their content on YouTube and, you know, sneaker blogs the same. So to have that foresight, just put the pen to paper and do that is phenomenal. Do you remember when the first moment that kind of clicked in your head or your guys's head that you were like, oh, we actually might be onto something here? I would say because I, I moved from Arkansas to the San Francisco Bay Area uh, to take a job with PayPal. And that's when I met Chris because he was living in the Bay Area. He was the property manager of an apartment complex. And it was just one of the times during our various conversations. I think it was actually they opened up a new house of hoops in the mall near us. And so we both went over there on the Saturday morning when they're supposed to have, you know, blah, 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 all these different releases. The stuff they had stocked, and so we were just chatting, and then we—that's t- when we talked about kind of combining things because both of us were. See- I was seeing good stuff on the website side, but I didn't have quite enough time to dedicate to it with being working at PayPal. And then he was seeing good stuff on the YouTube side. He had more time because a lot of times he was just sitting in his property manager office. He had to be there in case a a resident came in, mm. and so he had some more time to post stuff on the website and things like that. And so it just kind of clicked that, oh, okay, if we combine these two things, we've got people that just watch video, we've got people that just want to read, let's give them both and, and see how it goes. It's just fascinating to think the odds of you and Chris aligning with the same interest at the same point in time and offering both sides of you know video content and written content on the site. And so as time progresses, how do your day-to-day activities at wear testers evolve to you know what you may be doing in 2020 as opposed to what you're doing in 2013 2014 yeah so nowadays i'm really focused on our business side i still probably spend about whereas chris is like 90% content um whether it's on the website or the uh youtube channel I'm about 50% product testing, writing reviews, taking pictures for the reviews, all the stuff that goes into creating the content that lives on the website. And you know, I'm focused 100% on running at the moment and you know the various things that are ancillary to running. Uh, whereas before, back in the day, like 100% of the time I spent on the site was on content because we didn't have any promotional deals or we didn't really have advertising that was of any consequence to manage. And so that 50% of the time I spend product testing, I wish I had more time to spend there. But we've got like the business side, which is kind of the advertising that's on YouTube, the advertising that's on the website. We've got our Discord community, uh, which is where people can subscribe. We do monthly giveaways. We're giving away about two pairs of shoes a month right now to those members. We also have affiliate. We've been trying to push affiliate marketing more. Uh, so that we have to rely less on ads because ads are annoying and they go up and down throughout the year. So they're also annoying to us in terms of planning revenue. Whereas affiliate, a lot of people, they come look at our review, then they know that we took the time to do the review. And so to help us out, they click the link when they go to Nike or Foot Locker, wherever to actually make a purchase. And we get a small percentage of that. And so trying to make sure people know we have affiliate, make sure there's links on every post and and things like that, just in case people want to help us out. Also, we're getting back into merch. So I'm 
creating, I'm finalizing our Shopify store right now so that we can do a merch drop. Probably, probably this weekend, we're, we're just going to pre-order so that anyone who wants anything can get stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that goes in that. So that's my, the business side of my day. And then I spend about 10% of my time editing the team's work, focusing on SEO on the website, just little things that help the website perform better. And there's so much work that goes into you know what people may read for five minutes or watch a, a format video and believe that, you know oh, all it took them was the time it took me to read this or the time it took me to watch this and all of those little nuances to just to get that customer acquisition to get in front of them if they aren't familiar with you is a ton of work. And the other thing that I think may be tricky to balance is how are you guys balancing the relationship with brands? The main thing with the brands, and, and that's part of what I view, you know, that, that kind of bleeds into my product testing side and my business side, because we don't really do business deals with the brands. We do have like a contact that's their contact for affiliate marketing, and that person helps us get access to the affiliate links. But they're way different than the people that will occasionally see Chris and I shoes. Those people are generally on the PR brand marketing side. And but you have to keep the relationship up with those people in terms of if they send you something, you have to either provide them the review afterwards so they can see what you had to say and they can get it around internally. Or if you don't write a review, you have to tell them why, because you may get the shoe in and it just may not may not be good enough to get out of the pile and actually warrant a review. But it's still good policy to go back to the brand and say, well, this is why it wasn't good enough, right? So that they know you're just not trying to get free product just for free product. You know, you can offer to send it back to them or whatever. They usually don't want it. Or you can just be like, oh, and we're going to give this away to one of our readers or we're going to do this with the pair uh, so that they know anytime they're helping you out, you are kind of doing your best with the opportunity. Because what they're looking to get is exposure for their brand. Most of the brands are very okay with our honesty, both the PR and brand marketing people, because they know we aren't going to use shock headlines and things to try and get people to click with, how bad is this shoe? I mean, we've all seen the YouTube headlines that have that kind of stuff and get people to click into the video just to see what's wrong with this shoe. That's kind of not us. We're focused more on just an all-around review. and. Generally, most shoes, 75% of the shoe is good. There's maybe 25% kind of flaws or annoying things with the shoe. And those 25% of the things may not affect you because of how your foot is shaped or how your stride is. And we try and enumerate all of that so that you can make a decision for yourself based on your own foot. Because we know that may bother me and may not bother everyone. And that's what caught me with your guys' site and your content is personally, I'm looking to run a half marathon in 2021, never been a runner, always been a basketball player. And I went through a variety of your running reviews that started recently just to understand what to look for in a shoe, you know, hear what your recommendations are. And based on your credibility and your honesty over time, it makes things a lot easier. So when a consumer like me sees a Nike running shoe and says, this might work for me, and I click on that link and I end up trying out that product, it wouldn't have happened without that review platform being honest and having the foundation like you guys do. And so in terms of your review process, 
when you're putting that together. Selfishly, I'd like to start at the beginning of what is your process when you're going on a run, when you're just going on a run for yourself rather than testing out a shoe, if you have the time to do so nowadays? Uh, occasionally, occasionally. And, that, and that's, that's part of the grind of being a tester, honestly, because you'll find this shoe you absolutely love, but then this other brand sends you a shoe. And now you got to switch over to that and test that. But your eyes keep looking over at that other shoe. Wait, but I want to run in that. Honestly, we've had people that were really good writers that have contributed to the site, but they just it just annoyed them to not be able to play basketball in or run in their favorite shoes that they had to spend so much time testing. A regular a regular day running for me is just, you know, for me, I'm a morning runner most of the time. So it's wake up, get dressed, go into the garage. I had to integrate foam rolling as I got older. So do a little bit do a little bit of foam rolling to wake up, especially my calves. My calves get super tight. And then I do some dynamic stretching, you know, leg swings, little hip mobility drills that I've picked up over the years and some calf raises. And then I run and, you know, it's, that's it. Come back, rest a little bit, go take a shower, you know, just kind of like you're just like average. I'm just focused on whatever the run is, you know, whether it intervals, a long run, a short run, and I'm just, but the, the process on the edges stays the same, right? It's usually about the same time of day, usually the same type of warm up usually the same type of cool down. But once a review, you know, or, or really focusing on a shoe, I may do some different things while I'm out there. I may choose some different surfaces to run on. I love rainy running now. I'll, I'll try and get out there in the rain, whereas maybe I would just be like, hey, I'm sleeping that day because I need to test traction in those conditions. So rainy days are actually good for me. So it's, kind of throws a little bit of a change into your running routine when you're testing shoes. It's also, in reading your reviews, you're kind of a mad scientist sometimes in the way you're testing these shoes and wearing one shoe on one foot and another shoe on the other if they're similar enough. Do you find switching shoes so often, it's tough to find your normal shoe setting where you're always going, you know, Nike, Brooks, Hoka, Adidas, whatever it may be, to find out what you typically run in. How do you compartmentalize all the information that you're getting while running into the shoe that you're doing to give out a proper review? It's a lot about having tried a lot of shoes over the years and knowing yourself really well and knowing how your feet feel in various shoes. So I'm personally, I'm 6'6", six, six, I'm 205 pounds-ish, and I've got a narrow-ish foot. Not really narrow, but just kind of a little bit narrow. But I, one of the first questions I ask people when I see them in shoes that I'm interested in is, oh, how do you like that shoe? How does it fit? And I find out like how wide footers feel about shoes. And uh, that's why it's a good thing we have Jody on the reviewing side as well. She's kind of our, our wide foot runner. And she does a lot of our video editing, so she can't review as many running shoes as I do, but she brings a really good perspective to it as well. But I understand how my feet compare to others, what bugs a lot of people, and how that feels to me when it's in a shoe. And then I can thereby provide my opinion on how the shoe works for me, kind of like a movie critic would give their opinion of a movie. But I can also add in the little tidbits for the rest of the population. I can say, hey, this is a little bit tight for me. So if you're a wide footer, 
you're really going to either have to go up half a size or you're going to have to try this on in store to even see if it'll work because it's that tight. And as I said, this ability comes from talking shoes with a lot of people and trying just tons of shoes over the year, being that annoying kid that goes into the shoe store and tries on like 10 pairs before they even buy one, which nowadays is encouraged at uh, your local running store, but wasn't always. To be correct, you're taking these basically straight out of the box. You aren't doing any adding like an insole or an orthotic or wearing any like special running socks. You're just trying to keep it as normal and as vanilla as possible for these reviews. Yeah, luckily I'm a neutral I'm a neutral runner. It would be a lot harder if you were like an overpronator as a runner to do reviews. I can tell when a shoe is more stable, but if I was starting from a place of instability, that would be really hard to provide that neutral opinion. But throw it on normally. I usually try and start with a three to five mile run in a shoe just in case there's any hot spot blisters that I need to worry about because I can can go with thinner or thicker socks depending on the shoe. So I do a lot of tweaking with my own kind of what I'm wearing to make sure I can get enough miles in the shoe to give a good review. And is that a is that a specific goal that you try to look for based on the given time for review if you're looking for 25 or 30, 15, how many miles are you looking to get out of a shoe for a comprehensive review in your opinion? I started doing about 50 in every shoe and that worked really well, but then I found like I didn't quite need 50 if let's say something like the Epic React 1 and the Epic React 2, if it was like the same midsole, I'm not going to need 50. I'm just going to need enough miles to figure out how this new upper works. Is it as breathable? Does it fit as well, et cetera, et cetera. So some shoes don't quite need 50, but if it's something like brand new, some like brand new cushioning type, like the Alpha Fly, I try and get as close to 50 as possible which I'm currently running around like 35 to 40 miles a week. So it doesn't, over the course of like two weeks, I can test like two shoes completely. Once again, the brands reuse midsoles a lot. They reuse outsoles, they reuse uppers. And so a lot of times I can shave some miles off of that because I'm like, oh, well, this is just this shoe, just a little tiny bit different. Going back to being a neutral runner and getting that feel, it's one of the things that I've learned, you know, as I get into running. And it's crazy the technology in some of these running shops that are going to tell you if you pronate or supinate or however that works, using that during your review process. And so when you're factoring in, you know, making those opinions for a wide foot or a narrow foot or like a heel striker, however it may be, and running performance shoes, what is one common area you see amongst running shoes? that is lackluster or could always see some improvement? Probably consistency of fit. Now, most Nike running shoes are a little bit on the more narrow side, but even them, there is this vast inconsistency of how those shoes fit. The The sneaker companies don't do a good enough job educating consumers on what a last is and helping them find the last that's best for them. And and for those that don't know, a last is basically the foot-shaped, it's almost like a mannequin foot that they build the upper of the shoe around. And also, you know, that 
foot shape thing could be curved, you know, like on Kevin Durant sneakers, they're a little bit curved to the inside because basically built around his foot. But most, you know, are straightforward and it's how they build the entire shoe. The problem is that someone finds a shoe that they love and then that shoe gets discontinued and then they're forever like afterwards searching for a shoe that fit just as good as that one. And, you know, some of the running brands do a really good job of consistency. I would say Brooks is one of those. Most Brooks shoes feel very similar, but now that they've started doing some more high-tech racers, those feel different. And people are like, well, this doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel exactly analogous to the non-racing Brooks version. So all brands struggle with that a little bit. And I think they just need to educate a little bit more so that people don't make mistakes when they're trying to choose the next best shoe for them. I've never really thought about how brands evolved for that, you know, the high tech, high speed racing type shoe. And is that more of a current trend after Nike's was it the next percent in the breaking two or the alpha fly and the breaking two marathon that they did that is kind of rechanging how technology was used for those marathons and how it was almost banned and all that is that kind of the trend that a lot of companies are going towards is these lighter faster shoes or is it just the natural evolution of the industry yeah i mean nike really kicked off just like they did in i would say the late 80s early 90s with reebok there was like a technology war in basketball that's what's going on and running right now because nike figured out with the Vaporfly 4% and then they got it even better with Vaporfly Next% percent, is that if they take a really, really, really soft foam, which uh, ZoomX, it's a PBAX foam, it's super soft, and then they put a carbon fiber plate in between two layers of that foam, the carbon fiber plate, which has been around forever, like most basketball fans know that, you know, it's been in the Jordan line for a long time. And But what it does is it stabilizes that super soft foam enough that then you can use that super soft foam in a race situation mm. or even, you know, you could use like a nylon plate in there to stabilize it enough to be a daily training shoe. What the Vaporfly and next, the Vaporfly 4%, Next% percent, and now Alphafly do is they essentially save your legs so that towards the end of a half marathon or marathon, your legs just have a little bit more energy because it's been that really super soft foam has taken more of the impact instead of, you know, your knees, your ankles, your back, and essentially you're, you're saving yourself. Now, there's also been other innovations in terms of the shape of running shoes. They're much more curved at the heel and forefoot. Nike calls it rocker geometry. Brooks has a name for it. Every single company has a name for it. But it's basically so that as you hit with your heel or midfoot, the shoe just kind of rockets you through toe off because of how it's shaped. And then the foam and carbon fiber plate can help with that. And so the companies are still tweaking little things here and there. But those are kind of the three basic aspects that you know Nike and the other companies have cracked now that they're just trying to perfect. So that a racing shoe, especially a racing shoe, because you really don't want to run in a shoe that has a carbon fiber plate every single day because it's just stiff and it's gonna, there's a cost to your plantar fascia. It's just a little stiffer. Now, I was in a 
a Nike thing with Elliot Kipchoge and uh, some other runners and they try and keep, they try and wear that shoe like once a week for speed work. So their foot continues to know how that race day shoe feels so that when they break it out on race day, it's not just like, I've never worn this before. That can work for some people, but most people that's like a recipe for blisters and stuff like that. So you've got that aspect of it where you don't want to overuse this super technology, but like the stuff like the rocker geometry is finding its way into your everyday running shoes, but the everyday running shoes aren't as bouncy or aren't as stiff. And so you you kind of use those every day for your slower running. And then when you really want to speed up, you put on something that's stiffer and more springy. I think that's where wire testers shines is that information that you've just relayed to me about not wanting to use that shoe every day for a run isn't transparently communicated by the brands, whether it is Nike or Hoka or Brooks or Asics, whoever it may be. They aren't going to tell you, hey, maybe you shouldn't be running in this every day. Maybe you should be only rotating between three running shoes. It's interesting to see that from your perspective as someone who is a neutral reviewer, the information that can be given there. I understand the point of sales from these big brands and wanting to continuously sell these shoes. But why do you think there is a little bit of a disconnect in an honest review from a brand or from their athletes on a shoe or its intended use from the consumer? The interesting thing about the shoe market to remember is I think it's 80 something percent of shoes are not used for their intended purpose, right? So people buy a running shoe, but then they never go running. You know, it's just the shoe they walk around in. It's the theme. It's the shoe they wear to a theme park or to the mall because it's comfortable. And so then the brands don't have a ton of incentive to tell you something like the alpha fly is like actually horrible for casual use because it's it's so soft like it it shines when you're going really fast it when you're going slow it's just going to feel mushy and kind of a little uneven because it's meant to spring you with every step off your forefoot kind of help your natural stride so part of that is only 20% of the people are actually using it for that purpose. The The second part is they want people to buy as many shoes as possible. So they may tell you to rotate shoes. They'll tell you that all day. Oh, you should definitely rotate, you know, to let the foam rest or, you know, whatever, which is true enough, you know, like the foam springs back slowly over time. So giving it some time to rest helps out. But I think really they can build hype without truly kind of explaining that, hey, this is more of a, you know, once they start putting them in categories, the racing shoe all of a sudden becomes the top of the line. And they're worried about what people might think about those shoes in the middle, you know. So it's kind of a dual-edged sword where I think they would do better if they were completely transparent about, hey, this is your racing shoe. This is your kind of shoe you wear to do speedy workouts. This is your shoe you do for kind of your normal runs. I think they would be good to educate people that way, but I think they probably worry that that might be over-educating the majority of consumers. Don't, uh, don't fix it if it's not broke, essentially. And, and I, it's unfortunate for those who are looking for those type of reviews and may have not come across the type of reviews that you give to consumers and being able to find that on the site. However, you know, you guys do an excellent job covering that. And 
One thing that comes to mind is we kind of talk about this evolving technology with high tech racing shoes, not necessarily meant for casual running use. Do you see that technology and running shoe for the casual runner appears to be slowing down or plateauing where we aren't seeing as many new advancements that are really performance changing occurring and more of that shifting to these kind of prestige type pairs like the Alpha Fly and this technology that's meant for the very serious high tech, high speed racer? I don't know that we're close to a tech plateau. It seems that there's a lot of new foams and different things that people are trying right now. But I'm sure at some point we will hit a plateau, just like we kind of have done with basketball to some degree. Now, the Zoom Strobel that Nike's using is really interesting um, innovation that may enliven basketball a little bit more, even casual wear to some degree. So there will always be stuff, but basketball is a little stagnant in terms of cushioning and foams, whereas running is kind of, we're, we're kind of right at this period where they're trying tons of stuff. I think, though, you may see a lot of the industry going towards sustainability. So how can we continue to use recycled materials? How can we use less glue on a shoe? How can we use 3D printing uh, so that we could print up a shoe that's a one-to-one with Drew's foot or one-to-one with Chris's foot or one-to-one with Julian's foot? I think that's where we'll see a lot more innovation come, especially probably once running hits some sort of plateau. I think that hits the nail on the head in terms of pivoting from technology to to use and sustainability for the consumer as things change. And, you know, we're seeing things change, I would say, rapidly in the sneaker market in terms of in performance footwear, the plethora of competition that's coming out and the new type of models we're seeing and they're testing out. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves or maybe you know, Nike comes back with its Nike Plus or their fuel points, or there's some of these additives from, you know, maybe a more traditional electronic tech starts coming into sneakers for tracking purposes that may be utilized and those other areas that aren't strictly performance-based over time. And so when you're doing your reviews or since you've been doing your reviews, what are some of the uncommon obstacles that you wouldn't have thought came up, you know, during a long run or while you're reviewing a running shoe? So what's interesting to me is that I get to try everything from low cushion to super high cushion shoes now. And my tolerance has changed because I've felt the super cushion. I have to reframe. A good brand we kind of talk about here is on running. So on is kind of more of a minimal cushion, but what's interesting is I used to run in a pair, I ran my first 10K in a pair of ons, kind of they're they're just everyday shoe called the on cloud flow. It's kind of, it works perfectly for a neutral runner. It's got like just enough cushioning for most people. But nowadays we've got these shoes with so much React, so much Zoom X, a lot of P-backs in there that all of a sudden, I would go from one of those to one of On's new shoes, and I'd say, oh, this isn't enough cushioning. Like my brain, that's what it would think. And I said, oh, no, wait, wait, you got to reframe because there is hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people who have never tried this crazy cushioning, nor do they really want it for any reason. 
So now we have to reframe to, okay, what's a normal shoe like? Now let me measure on against that so that I can tell someone, is this enough cushioning for them as they're looking for that everyday running shoe? That's something I wouldn't have thought of, especially with so many brands. In my instance, I've only heard of on a couple of times. I'm sure there's people who are listening today that have never heard of the brand. And, you know, from your perspective, being able to relate to a normal shoe and vice versa could be very difficult. And in the same lane, knowing what you know now in 2020, if you went back and talked to Drew of 2010, 2011, 2012, what would you change about wear testers or start doing earlier with the information you know today? At the beginning, we did reviews and then we would also post sneaker news. So we would say, oh, look, this new Jordan colorway leaked or this, you know, stuff like that. Now, the problem with that was that their nice kicks and sneaker news and soul collector all existed. So we were never winning the sneaker news battle. We were, we were too small. we they were ahead of us by probably four years, right? And so I would tell young Chris and young Drew, don't focus on sneaker news, just double down on reviews. Because now we live in a world where reviews are hot. You got, you know, things like Wirecutter that's owned by the New York Times, that's all these tech and like kitchen appliance reviews. And I think I think New York Times bought them for like $36 million. So reviews are big business uh, because when it's owned by a big company, a big company can figure out these huge affiliate deals. I don't even know how many Amazon purchases wire cutters driving, but it's got to be a ton. Now they do they do stuff that's more Amazon based, which is a little bit easier on the affiliate side. But I would tell us just focus on reviews because I think had we done that earlier, more people would have found our review content because sometimes when you'd come to our site, you didn't see the reviews right off the bat. You saw a bunch of news articles. And so I think that didn't help our discovery. And it is advice I give to a lot of people that are starting companies when when they talk to me about what are some of my early mistakes. I, I try and get them to focus more, like pick your niche and focus on that maniacally. There's going to be all these opportunities that are good opportunities, but if your niche is that great opportunity, just stick to that niche. Definitely live in an era today of hyper niche specialization. We don't see a whole lot of overgeneralization. I think that's a, a great tip, great way of looking at things, especially how things rapidly change for you guys. And so kind of winding down here, Drew, I'm going to go through a couple just quick and fun questions. Just get your, you know, real quick off the cuff answers. See what your thoughts are. Cool. Let's do it. Crew socks or ankle socks? Oh, man, that's that's tough. I would lean crew for basketball. I tend to like those. They're not quarter. They're kind of like in between crew and quarter. I, I've got some stride line pairs that I love of that. But honestly, I grew up in Florida, so most of the time I'm kind of like no-show. Or as no-show as I'm willing to go now, which are, you know, kind of the low ankle socks that have like tabs on them to prevent blisters. It's too wild testing shoes. I can't do no-shows <laughs> and not risk getting blisters these days. What is your favorite sneaker of all time? Bone Paza 1. So couldn't get it when I was a kid, but in... 2012, I believe, when it re-released, I was able to snag two pairs, went to the Nike store, got a wristband for myself, made my wife wear a wristband. And then she was really ticked at me that she had to wear it for, I think it was like 
36 hours until we could go pick him up. She was not happy about that, but luckily she did. And so, and then one, the one pair I wore playing basketball and I just absolutely destroyed them because I, that's all I'd wanted to do when I was a kid was play basketball in them. And so I destroyed them playing basketball, not the best basketball shoe, but I had to do it. Right. And then the other pair still exist, like pretty beat now, but I like to just wear them around. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're made for. You got to wear them down and it's great that you have them back in your possession. And so do you prefer for your sneakers, no box, original box, or like a plastic or drop front type of box? So now that I'm fully adulting and kind of need nice storage solutions, I've gone to that container store drop front box. Mm -hmm. Now, and then I have some that are still in their original boxes, but that's very, very few shoes. And it's usually when they have some sort of cool or special box. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. And then casually, do you prefer high top sneakers or low top sneakers? Low top. It's weird because like as a kid, like I legit didn't care, right? And at some point, I don't know when it was, maybe it's when they started making basketball low tops. I started being like, whoa, my ankles can breathe a lot better. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'd rather do low tops. Now, there's plenty of shoes that are still comfortable enough for me to wear, you know, the high tops, the foam posit one, Jordan ones, Let's see what else there's, there's some others that I'm forgetting. But, uh, you know, like the Jordan 11, like I would much rather take out a pair of lows than the high top version, oh. which is like sacrilegious to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's definitely a hot take in some communities. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, I don't I don't bring that one out very often. Just in case. <laughs> it starts a whole thing. Awesome. And so outside of uh, performance footwear and sneakers and wear testers in general, what are you interested in, whether it's a TV show or a book or, you know, a new hobby? What is it? So consumer technology, I like that. I keep up on it. It could be the newest watch, the newest phone. I like to know what's going on there. I don't, I don't buy all of it. I'm not like a avid collector of it all but I'm just so interested in, in consumer technology and, and what's the, the latest and the greatest. And then on the TV side, recently, let's see, what did I, I just finished Mr. Robot, oh, the entire series of that, which was, which was a great show. I'm, I'm very kind of the mysterious twisty shows like Lost would be up there as one of my all-time favorites. And of course, all the superhero stuff I like, I just finished the uh, second season of the boys and it's, it's just so such a different take on superheroes it's it's fun and i enjoy it's, it's kind of a nice escape from from the everyday stuff to to sit down and watch a show like that excellent well that was that was awesome drew there's a lot of information there i learned a lot selfishly and i'm sure the listeners learned a ton about the evolution of wear testers, running shoes, even basketball, which we touched on quite a bit there. And so with that being said, Drew, where can they find you and the wear testers online and in the universe? So best place is weartesters.com, W-E-A-R-T-E-S-T-E-R-S.com. Um, we'll have, we have links from there to our YouTube channel. And typically every video 
we do a post that goes along with it. And so you can use the search function on the website to find various shoes, or you can just go search by running shoes reviews or basketball shoe reviews or cross training shoe reviews. That's kind of the best place to get in there. And if you do, if you're looking on the website, can't find what you're looking for, or you want a little more color to a review, let's say something we didn't address, hit us up at Wear Testers on Twitter is probably the best way to get a quick comment from us. I'd say IG, but a lot of comment, it, it's just DMing and everything on IG is just a lot harder than on Twitter. So Twitter tends to get best. We're, we also have a, if Facebook's your thing, we have a Wear Testers Facebook page and you can DM us on there. It's it's a lot easier to see on Facebook than like comments on posts and stuff. But we try and get to everyone and kind of answer questions because everyone's feet are different. And that's something we understand. So we try and answer any little thing that may come up along the way, even if we don't address it in the main review. And then you mentioned too, you guys just started or have a Discord running for like Wear Testers members. Yeah, so on Wear Testers, we have wearTesters.com slash join. We started a Discord. So it's for people that want to have like a running conversation with us. So it can be anyone from people that are aspiring kind of sneaker YouTube people. We have some of their, those on there. And then we have people that just want to support us because they've been rocking with us for a while. And then we have people that want to be able to converse with us more regularly on kind of performance matters because they're just performance shoe junkies. And uh, you can get all the information about joining there. We do giveaways. We do monthly conference calls where a whole bunch of people hop on there and Chris and I answer questions. and. It's just a fun time. It's it's a nice community. There's nobody in there trolling. It's kind of just shoe talk. We have all these channels, you know, could be for, we have a running channel, a basketball channel. We have like an NBA channel, an NFL channel. We have movies, TV and nerd stuff. And so there, any type of conversation, there's like 20 different conversations going on at once that you can jump into and, and chat with people. Excellent. I'll have all that information in the show notes below for you listeners. It was Drew, truly an honor to have you on. I'm super excited. And you know, I'm gonna, probably going to read a few more reviews just because I enjoy being a performance junkie myself, learning a little bit more about how much the running space is changing. So I truly appreciate you for uh, hopping on the show. And I look forward to seeing where testers continue to grow over time. Hey, thanks for having me, Julian. Really appreciate it. It was fun. And there you have it, Drew Whitcomb of The Wear Testers, telling us an interesting insight onto being at the Orlando Magic game when Michael Jordan wore number 12. Crazy in-depth behind-the-scenes look at where the wear testers do on a day-to-day, and how they met, and how they evolved over time. As I mentioned, all of their information will be in the show notes below. So if you're looking for a new shoe, go and check out the reviews, or go look back and see if you can find some of your favorite shoes and how they reviewed them. They are on wearTesters.com and on YouTube. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to go check out the Wear Testers. And if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave a rating, follow the podcast, and I'll catch you next week.